1: Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by Paul Tenorio, my friend and colleague at The Athletic. We're recording here on a Thursday evening. We've got some good news to get into. I say good news, I don't mean positive necessarily, but interesting news to get into and then a full mailbag to dive into this show, Paul. Um, but before we get there, how how are you doing tonight? You You good? You good this evening?
2: I'm doing all right, man. It's a weird, it's a weird night. For me, uh, Ben Olsen and D.C. United, as you alluded to the news in in MLS today, parting ways. And, um, you know, a lot of people know I started my career at the Washington Post. So D.C. United was the first MLS team that I covered. I grew up in the D.C. area. So I watched D.C. United for um, some of those early years as a kid. So I, I got to know Ben Olsen really well in my time in D.C., I have a hard time thinking about DC United without Ben Olsen in a front and center role. I know he's staying in the organization in some capacity um, to be determined uh, or for us still TBD for us to find out at least what it is. Uh, But yeah, it's a weird day, man, because Ben has been such a huge part of that club. I saw the stat that they posted that he's either played or coached in 71.1% of DC United's all-time games pretty crazy number there. Uh so yeah, man, it's just weird for him, weird for him to to no longer be the head coach of DC United.
1: It is certainly very bizarre. He had been the head coach since 2010, full-time head coach since 2011, um but DC were going through it this year. They're last in the league with 11 points through 16 games. The final straw was a a 4-1 loss at New York City on Wednesday night. They had a 4-0 loss to Atlanta. Prior to that, that being said, they made the playoffs five of the last six seasons. Um, I think when you think back on the good times of Ben Olsen, I think the first kind of thing that comes to my mind anyway is the second half of the 2018 season after they opened up Audi Field, Wayne Rooney got there, him and Lucho Acosta created some magical moments together, uh, and the city was really getting behind that team in a way that it hadn't in several years, Um, but they failed as a club to capitalize on that momentum. Um, and not only did they not capitalize on it, but they went backwards pretty significantly. Uh, they did have a lot of, or they do have a lot of issues with injuries this season. Paul Areola out for the season with a torn ACL. Uh, Edison Flores, their big off season signing uh, has only played in five games, I believe. Um, so they've missed a lot of key guys for a lot of time due to injuries, but you know, I think the Twitter reaction, right, was it was a lot of thank you, Ben, you're a legend. But this was the right time, maybe even past the right time. This had to happen. And I think I largely agree with that.
2: Yeah, I think um, there's no doubt that that a change was needed. And I think sometimes some, an organization just needs that refresh it is weird, though. I, I will say, you know, we talked a couple episodes ago about a connection to community and how important that is in a club, a connection to the history of the club. And DC United is a very weird club when it comes to that. They've they've actually put some of their history at arm's length, um, which is crazy because they were so successful early on. Um, but there are a lot of people around DC who feel like there isn't enough um, – Respect paid to the Marco Echeverry, Bruce Arena, Jaime Moreno, Raul Diaz Arce, John Harkes, D.C. United teams. I think Bruce Arena would agree with that. And, and Yeah, and Ben Olsen <laughs> was the connection. And not only was he a connection to that era and the fans, but to the city. You know, he chose to live in Washington, D.C. to raise his kids in D.C. You know, that's not something that occurs all the time for for clubs who are in bigger cities, you know. Um and it matters. It's important. He felt connected to that place. And so, DC United's losing that as well. And I think also it's worth noting that, as much as I believe that there were years where Ben Olsen or decisions Ben Olsen has made that I've disagreed with tactically or in roster choices, he also has been given very little support by ownership historically. They've gone through multiple owners during his time there. And you know, I actually want to hark- harken back to a story I wrote a couple of years ago um, about kind of the divide that's happening behind the scenes. We talk about it all the time of ownership groups and who wants to spend and who doesn't. And as part of a story I wrote about that divide um, that exists, um I interviewed Steve Kaplan. Stephen Kaplan, who's the majority owner of DC United. He's he's the money man, along with partner Jason Levian, who's kind of the more front and center voice of ownership for DC United. And when what struck me in that interview with, Steve, with Kaplan was that he talked about the tipping point is here. We need to take this league forward. And you know, he he discussed um openly his desire to to spend. He said you've got to grow. This is America. We don't want to be second rate. We ought to have big, hairy, audacious goals. Let's put out a big lofty goal and try to get there and do it our way and prove that our way works. <laughs> And, you know, I don't know that I feel like DC United's done that under his ownership. They've spent some more money. No. They went and signed Flores, who was like a, a bigger money spend. They, they signed Rooney. They spent money on Ariola. They, 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 they signed Rooney. They spent money on Ariola. So they've, they've spent money here and there, but nothing about them feels ambitious. You know the the stadium doesn't feel ambitious. It, I mean, it's amazing to go to DC for me and see a soccer stadium there. Just like the fact that it exists is nuts. But you know they they didn't they didn't do that the way LAFC did their stadium. Um, you know this is a little bit more of a bare bones facility. You know they 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 did not provide Ben Olsen the full amount of support that he could get. That that would make you think that they want to grow that this is America and they don't want to be second rate. And so I think it'll be a little bit of a shame in my opinion, if the next coach gets, you know, a huge influx of investment from this ownership group. I I hope it happens because DC United can be a great organization, can be a great fan base. Um, But it would be a shame considering what they put Ben Olsen through. And I say all that, not disagreeing with the idea that, that it was time probably to move on to a new coach.
1: Yeah. And I think what you said kind of about the ambition it really rings true to me. You know, it feels sort of like DC is checking these boxes, right? They go out and they get Rooney and they get Ariola and they get Flores and they spend millions of dollars in transfer fees. And that's very real. I don't mean to minimize that, but they're not doing it in a way that's driving the league forward. They're doing it in a way that's barely keeping up. Right, they open the stadium. Uh, it's a beautiful stadium, or it's not a beautiful stadium. It's it's a fine stadium by all accounts. I have actually, actually haven't been there yet. I would like to get down there. Um, expensive, certainly. Um, you know, they start their USL team in Loudoun County in Virginia, but it just sort of feels like they're doing these things for appearances, almost. Right, they're doing them, but they're doing them in like the cheapest way possible.
2: I should note, right? Sam, you if made a fair point sense. there. It was. I think it is still one of the most expensive city uh, stadiums in MLS because right. of how much they had to spend to to find the real estate in the city. So that and, that and we none should...
1: of these things, none of these things are cheap, right? So I'm not I'm not out here saying they're cheap, but like it's sort of like okay, we're going to do this, but we're going to find a way to really like minimize costs and, and fair play, right? They're they're able to do that, it, but it's not one of the more ambitious organizations in the league. Um, I think Ben Olsen, I think Dave Casper, the GM there, who is still at the club. Um, At least for now, anyway. Uh, I think for the most part, they got pretty good results considering the resources they've had to play with over the years. Um, That being said, I think they had a very defined ceiling. I think they've bumped up against that ceiling. Um, And I think as we've seen, not just this year, but in several years over the last decade, the floor is as low as it gets, right? When it goes bad in D.C., it's like you're talking about some of the worst teams in league history, um, and so if your ceiling is like third ish, fourth, you know, as we look forward here, maybe fourth or fifth in the East and like maybe making it to the second round of the playoffs and then doing it with Ben Olson, where you're not going to be playing pretty soccer, that's getting anyone excited to come out to the park. Uh, then yeah, it's time to make a change at a certain point. You're just banging your head against a wall. Um, but if that's going to meaningfully change for DC, Right. They probably need to be a little bit more ambitious. And I'm not just talking player salary there. I'm talking like club infrastructure behind the scenes. Right. And this is something we'll get into a little bit in the mailbag here. But like when you talk about the front office at DC United, it's pretty bare bones. Right. Dave Casper doesn't have a ton of help. They don't put a lot into scouting like some of these other teams do. They're not at the forefront of those things. And so if you're willing to improve, then you need to try and be best in class in some of those areas. Right? You don't necessarily need to spend a ton more money on the first team, although that wouldn't hurt, of course. Um, but you need to build that infrastructure and you kinda need to push things forward in a in a more meaningful way than you have done in the past. So anyway, we've talked a lot about DC United. And what what else you want to say here, Paul? Yep.
2: I just will add one more quick note. I, I I just think it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Do they do they make more changes in the front office? Because if they do, they better they better change how they spend. Because as you noted, you know Ben Olsen and Dave Casper, I think, got a lot out of what they were given. You look back at that 2014 season after the the one of the worst seasons in MLS history, maybe the worst season in MLS history beyond the, the Open Cup. Yeah, Open beyond Cup open champs, Cup. though, in 2013. Um, <laughs> and and Dave Casper went, and with no budget again, went through the league channels that a lot of people usually ignore. You know, Sean Franklin and Bobby Boswell in re-entry stage one, uh, a very underutilized um, aspect of Major League Soccer offseason things for a reason, right? Because those are guys <laughs> that are being jettisoned by other teams that have bigger um, years left on their contract, option years, that no one wants to pick up. You know he went and picked those up. He traded for Eddie Johnson. He went to re-entry stage two and signed Fabio Fabi- Espindola, Spindola, Nana Atakora. Ad- Ad- Espindola. Um, yeah. You know he went and got Steve Bernbaum in the draft that year. Anyways, it was one of the biggest turnarounds. Ben Olsen got coach of the year. That was a roster build that was done through MLS mechanisms and you know bargain shopping of the of the lowest rung of MLS you know kind of the MLS bin and he put together a really good team there's not a lot of people out there the league has changed changed a lot but there's also not a lot of people out there that can shop in MLS effectively anymore and even when you do right even when you do it's not easy to be successful Bruce Arena New England is another example of that you see him kind of going to his old ways looking for these kind of MLS veterans that really help you win games and in an MLS of not too distant past, right? And it's so a it's a little bit harder to to win with that strategy. You need some money behind you. You need some international signings to be the leaders of your team. Um and and so DC United better recognize that. They can't they can't win like they did in twenty fourteen. They can't have Dave Casper put a roster together like that and and go with a cheap coach. I mean that that wasn't sustainable
1: that wasn't No, it was a band
2: aid. It worked, right? but it was a band aid. So, and that's the way DC yeah. United has functioned, yeah. right? They have to change at yes, the ownership exactly. and investment level. They cannot continue to function in that way. You can't go into the re entry draft and sign four guys and go into the super draft and make a couple of trades and be competitive. It's not going to work anymore. All right. Let's get into the mailbag.
1: No, it, the degree of difficulty is a lot higher anyway. Um, yes, let's get into the mailbag. Um, actually, no, I have a question for the mailbag, Paul,
2: and I'm sticking with (laughs) you. What do you think they do for, what do you think they do for a new coach? I don't know. I mean, the trend is certainly to look internationally. I think that would be, you know, I would be surprised if that's the case. Um, especially if they keep Dave Casper, I think that they'll look internal. They'll look within MLS for a candidate. Um, you know, do they go with an inexperienced coach who will be cheaper? You know, they. I know the assistant. One of the assistant coaches on Ben Olson's staff, Nolan Sheldon, is very widely, very highly respected within the organization. He had a chance to not the not the interim head coach. not the interim head coach, but ash. you know, what's interesting is um, I got to make sure that what I what I've reported and what I haven't reported, but. Um, I'm doing a quick Twitter search to make sure that I can put this out there. Um, but yeah, he, he had interest, um, from, uh, U S soccer. Um, they wanted to speak to Nolan Sheldon about being the U S under 20 national team coach and DC United. I, think I did you report reported, I, I did I think find I the tweet. This. Um, they, uh, you know, DC United rebuffed USSF's request. Uh, to interview nolan sheldon for that job so why do you do that well came late in the off season and they didn't want it, you know but clearly they rate him so you know could it be nolan sheldon getting the job maybe you know could they look at other assistants around the league um you know maybe we could we could i probably should have put together a list for this pod but i i think you know my guess knowing dc united is the cheaper route and the cheaper route is staying domestic
1: yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, Pat Noonan is a name that's been interviewed before. Uh Ante Razov's name occasionally gets tossed around. Um there there are other guys on the domestic level. Um I would be kind of I would be a little surprised if they go that route. I think they're gonna go out and try and make a splash and say this is the new DCU. Um and maybe go out and, and get a little more expensive with it, but I guess time will tell. Moving on. Um First question in the mailbag: Should you ask me? Should I ask you? How are we going to do this?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll start it off. I sorry you you asked the first question in the mailbag. You already did. You you stayed DC United.
1: I mean that's true. I put the I put I put it in the bag
2: and then I took it right out. All right, this one's from W Bach, and the question is: Where does David Lee go from here? Does NYCFC fill the DP slot to finish the season? Matrita was was recently sent on loan to Saudi Arabia, opening up a DP spot, as Sam reported. Do they make two big splashes this winter in the January window? Young, old, known commodity, a prospect. Sam, you wrote about it. Uh, you've got the scoop, man. Tell us, what, what is David Lee going to do?
1: Um, in the short term, I don't think he's signing anybody this season. You know, he was pretty – he was like, yeah, it's pretty unlikely, essentially, in so many words. And, and that's – for a decent reason, um, at this point in in the season, there's a month left in the regular season. If you signed someone like tomorrow as a DP from abroad, you're looking at probably two weeks for a visa, two weeks for a quarantine, and by the time they're even able to train, never mind playing a game, but just step onto the field with their teammates, the regular season's already over. So you know, if the right guy becomes available now, okay, yeah, go get him, and he can come to New York and get settled and start to integrate with the team before next season, but most likely they'll be waiting around until 2021 um, or until the off season anyway, to replace Matriza as a designated player. Um, Jesus Medina will also not be a designated player next year. He is going to be under contract. He's guaranteed. Um, But Lee said that the way that MLS is amortizing his transfer fee means that he will no longer count as a designated player. I don't know if he was like near that threshold and because the threshold goes up every year, maybe that has something to do with it too. Um, But they have two DP spots to play with this winter. I do expect them to use both of them. Um, Attack is the obvious starting point. Um, Eber is going to be out for, I mean, who knows what the schedule is going to be in terms of the calendar for next year, but he's going to be out a long time with that ACL tear. Um, so I, I would expect them to go get a striker. Um, and then probably, you know, maybe, maybe they look at a winger, maybe they look at a center midfielder. Uh, Maxi Morales is, has been excellent, but he's also been hurt a decent amount this year and he's certainly not getting any younger. Um, so maybe they, maybe they try and groom a replacement for him in terms of young slash old known slash prospect, I don't think you're going to get like a David via Frank Lampard, Andrea Pirlo type of situation. Um, They tried that once and it didn't really work for the most part. Uh, Vio was excellent, you know, won an MVP, but those other two, not so much. Um, And I think they're more aligned, more worried about being aligned with CFG, City Football Group, as a whole, than about making a splash at this point. Maybe when they, if they ever open this new stadium um, in the South Bronx, maybe then they'll go and and get a name. Um, But we're years away from that at this point, so I think they'll go relatively young um relatively unknown um but hopefully for their sake talented and maybe a guy that they can uh possibly sell on like they've done with a couple of players or moved on I should say with a couple of players uh Jack Harrison and Jan Hellerera, two of them um in the future so that's that's sort of my take um sound
2: reasonable to you Paul Yeah it makes a lot of sense to me Tim This episode is supported
1: by FX's Welcome to Rexum Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Okay, I have a question for you. This is from Ruben Tisch. Long time Fire fan, I believe. Um, His question, and and Paul, you take this one. How can the Fire advance beyond being bum slayers? I like that phrase. And be legitimately good?
2: Well, I think they need more time to build this roster. And, you know, I'll say that I disagreed with the tactics that George Heights took uh, when he took the job. He was on an extremely tight timeline. Um, that wasn't his fault. I think ownership was too slow in their decision-making process to move Nelson Rodriguez to the business side only to um, fire Velko Panovich. And what it resulted in was George Heights being hired, you know, with very little time to make a head coaching hire and to fill a roster that was left pretty darn bare. Uh, All three DP spots were open. Dax McCarty was traded, you know, just before these decisions were made Um, you know, by the way, he would have been useful. So was Grant Lillard. Grant Grant Lillard was also traded a homegrown player. And, and so when I look at this roster, you know, let's talk about some of the, uh, Alvaro Madron was signed. I mean, this guy is a high, high money TAM player. Is he producing at that level? No. So that's all before George Heights arrived. Then he comes in and he signs three DPs. Robert Barich hasn't been great. Okay. He hasn't been great. He signed To, to be fair to
1: the fire they were moving into soldier field off of a rebrand wanting to make a splash if they had known that they weren't going to be playing in front of fans sure but you also
2: you, think they may have handled things differently you also again i don't blame george heights for this to a certain degree you know knowing that you're moving into the stadium knowing that all this is happening to give your new general manager your new technical director that short of a timeline to build a roster for that reintrodu- reintroduction to the city. It's just poor planning. And if you do that, it a failure, then you have yeah. to say, okay, let's be smart. Let's go sign one DP and then let's take our time and figure things out from there. And instead, they've locked themselves into three DPs, right? All of whom are on longer term contracts. You know, two of whom have been, in my opinion, disappointing. Jimenez and uh, Barich. You know, I'm not saying they're bad players, but certainly not the the level that you want from a DP Aliceta, I'm going to say jury's out. He's a young kid. you know I, I'll give a younger kid some time, but they haven't gotten the production they needed out of Jimenez and and Baric. and then you look at some of the under, other signings, they're okay. you know they're okay. I think it's typical of a uh, uh, a technical director coming in from abroad to say the guys I know in Europe are better than whatever the, whatever's here in MLS automatically because they're not in MLS so they're going to be better. And 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 the reality is some of these guys are not better. Um, can they be better at some point? Maybe maybe Navarro continues to improve. He's a young player, but you know, you look at Sekulic, Stojanovic, hasn't been great. And then I thought the run on homegrown players, you know, you look at that and you think, "Oh great, they're signing homegrowns." So, uh, they've got uh, they signed what? 5 Six, seven this offseason? Seven I homegrowns. Was, I think it was more than five. I think they signed seven yeah. homegrowns in this window, one of whom, two of whom have played. Pineda, who is a college graduate homegrown, so an already developed he better play if you're gonna sign him type of kid. And 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 Gutierrez has played. And why does that matter? Well, it matters because it takes away your supplemental and reserve roster spots. So it limits some of the, the low level signings that you can make. They need to figure that out. They need to move these guys out on loan, open up some roster space, um, and and try to find some guys that can help them around the league. Um, I think they need time. And now they're going to need probably a little bit more time because they're going to have to wait another year for the contracts of Robert Barrage and and, uh, Jimenez to play out. And um, you know, I think they're going to need the young money spots to open up. Um, and they're going to have to go get some of those signings right, and those are going to be really tough to find guys under under the age of twenty, twenty one, who twenty two. Yeah, I mean under the you got to be twenty one, twenty twenty. You know those. It's hard to find guys that can come in and and help you right away. Like like let's be real, Sam. I, I let's go down a list of DPS twenty two or younger who have stepped into starting lineups and been effective in MLS. Not a lot of them, oh man, you're testing me, you're testing me here um Miguel Almiron might be was he twenty two or twenty three when he was signed He was right on the border i
1: he might have been twenty two when he signed, but I think he was twenty three when the season started
2: yeah, um, so i mean it's it's not I mean, easy he,
1: he would be he would be the one of the main ones i'm trying to I'm trying to think Have there been any others. Valenzuela the younger DP is more of a recent Valenzuela in Columbus Valenzuela Yeah He came yeah, in sure. he was a good player kind of off a the bench Lower bat. impact position Yeah at left back Fabian Castillo maybe Um if we're going back a long way Mauro Diaz I don't remember how old he was when he came in Um but yeah
2: Few and far between. It's just answer. hard. It's harder to do. So, so you can't really count on those on those spots. I just think let's give let's give George Heights some time. Again, I don't blame him for some of these problems. Um, you know, I think he came into a very difficult situation. But you know, my my thought here is, you know, the fire just need a little bit more time to to rebuild this roster. Um, to I think hopefully to put a little bit more value on the players that are available in MLS. I thought they could have done a better job of going into the MLS free agent market to buy themselves some time, to buy themselves a year with guys who could have been competitive off the bat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that Mansueto wants to spend money. And I do think that they're going to be a team that is looking and shopping for kind of on the LAFC model, where they're going to look for more Alice Ada type players. Hmm. They're going to sign younger guys that they want to be able to resell. Is that is that the LAFC model? I think LAFC, when you look at some of the the I young mean, players... LAFC have spent
1: a ton of money, man.
2: Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. They've they've spent their money on I mean, young guys. And I think that's where Chicago's going to go. Now, they didn't in this first offseason okay. with Barich and Jimenez. They did with Aliceta. But I think that they are going to head that direction.
1: All right. Well, they don't really have the DP spots to do it. So that'll be interesting. Um, one one quick thing before we move on to the next one. Uh, how many times are we going to see the the GM come in from abroad, not understand MLS, and do the same thing over and over and make the same mistakes over and over with undervaluing MLS players, overvaluing international guys, and digging themselves a hole right away that it takes a couple of years to dig out of? Anyway, that's, it, it happens every offseason, but I digress. Next question. What do you got,
2: Paul? All right, Sam. This one comes from Sean Hardgrove. I feel like this will be a good conversation. How much investment in both time and money does a club like Seattle or LAFC put into sc- scouting and talent identification versus a mid-tier club like I'll use DC United? He uses KC here. Actually, we'll use KC because it's a, a good example of a mid-tier team who he, does it he right. He actually has both. Um, he has KC. And yeah, he's DC. got both there. Is it just money or should we be harder on the GMs for their failure to find the right players for their club?
1: Um, Well, money certainly has a lot to do with it. Uh, I would say that's the biggest factor. Um, But there are ways to sort of cut into that advantage, even if you don't spend a ton of money or as much money. And uh, oddly enough, the teams that really maximize those advantages are the ones that do spend the most money. Um, So you mentioned, Sean mentioned Seattle, uh, LAFC, you know, Toronto is a club that puts a lot into this. Seattle and Toronto, I think are, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Paul, but I think they're pretty widely recognized as having kind of the best analytics guys in the league. Um, And, I mean, they've made MLS Cup every year, forever. So, good for them. Um, Scouting, there's a ton that goes into it. It's not just, okay, let's go see a player. It's your network. It's where you come from. um, And it's really kind of understanding I think this is a crucial part. It's understanding how different leagues, the level in different leagues around the world translate to MLS. And I think that's a really hard thing to do. And I think that's something where resources can make a big, big difference, right? The more information you have on hand, the more tools you have at your disposal, I think makes a big deal, big deal there. Seattle and Toronto are, are two of the ones that I would say kind of put a ton into that. Um, and i think that shows most of the time with their signings um i'm trying to think of other teams that well, I, that do put a
2: lot into the the example that well. that comes to mind for me is is columbus um i think greg burhalter put a huge emphasis on analytics while he was there and they you know we mentioned one of their signings uh, earlier in the show milton valenzuela i think they've done a really nice job um in the, that market of kind of a lower spending team they found Arthur. Um, at a really good price.
1: Yeah, Harrison, awful. Harrison,
2: awful. Got him out of Tunisia. Zach Steffen, they brought totally in at a them. really cheap price. Very smart yeah. the way they structured that deal to get him when he was coming out of Germany. Um, you know they they know they know what they're looking for. Uh, Mensa has turned out to be a good player. Um, so so maybe defender of the year. And I would say also. You know, so part of that is analytics. Part of that is manpower and having – you also have to give credit to the talent in front offices. So like, for example, in Seattle, Chris Henderson, I think, has done a really nice job in kind of looking for players, finding players that fit. Ricardo Moreira, who was in Columbus under Greg Berhalter, has a really good eye for players, goes to Orlando City. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they found some really nice players at really good prices who have helped Orlando city be competitive right away. So having scouts who, to what you said earlier, Sam, understand MLS, what type of player fits well here, you know, what types of qualities are necessary to be successful in MLS. That matters a lot. That matters a lot as well as the investment. Two clubs that I cannot
1: believe. I forgot uh, the two New York teams. I have a huge leg up on this than everyone else in MLS, uh, New York City FC and the New York Red Bulls, just because they can tap in, particularly New York City, by the way, because they can tap into the global networks, right? So City Football Group has scouts everywhere in the world, and they work for City Football Group. They do not work for Manchester City. They do not work for Hirona. They do not work for any of the individual clubs. They work for City Football Group. And so David Lee, the sporting director for NYCFC, can tap into that all the time, right? Right. Um, Red Bull, it's not quite that extensive, but they have, they have a global network too, right? And they have a very clear model of how they want to play. So they can tap into that. Um, so those two teams have a bit of advantage there, but there is no exact science here. This is a very inexact science. There's no one recipe, right? You can succeed, um, with two guys, right? It's harder, but if you have two guys with a really good eye and an understanding of how to do it, then you can go out and do it. um, but yeah, the uh, the investment in time and money, it does make a difference and it's the teams that you would expect that put the most into
2: and it. And I would say too, money does matter a lot because like you can look at a team like Kansas City, they put a significant amount of resources into their scouting network. They have a lot of scouts. They spend a lot of time on scouting. Peter Vermees has a whole system and you know they do an okay job, but they've had some pretty big misses too but that's expected at the level yeah. that they're shopping right they're not they're not shopping you know the more you spend theoretically oh, until, until Polito. Yeah. yeah i mean the more you spend the the higher the percentage is supposed to be that you hit right you're the, paying the lower for the your quality, risk. right yeah, the lower and rate. so it does matter you know and i think kansas city is a good example where you can put in the investment into scouting networks and, and to those resources but when you're shopping in a certain Market, it gets a lot harder to hit at the higher rates that we see with Seattle and Toronto, who typically are shopping kind of in that um, more expensive barrel compared up. to compared to the rest of MLS for sure. Absolutely. Um,
1: anything else you uh, want to say on that one?
2: No, I think I hope we gave people an idea of what matters. Um, you know, certainly I think MLS I clubs so know what, where they should be looking. You know, theoretically, like, where should DC United be looking some, to model what them. they do? Maybe one of those teams we just mentioned. Maybe maybe
1: one of the teams that makes the MLS Cup every year. Um, <laughs> Shrek. Shrek and PDX. Um, he's, he's got the next question. He or she, I don't know, or an ogre, you know, Shrek. When will teams spend real designated player money on defenders?
2: This is an easy one. We're going to move on quickly. The answer is never. As long as DPs exist, the money will be spent on attacking players. When when and if DPs are ever removed from the equation and there's a ceiling and a floor in this cap, then you can spend real money on defenders. But until that day happens, it's going to be rare to see teams spending millions of dollars on defenders because you only have three of those spots. And the things that matter more are the and goal attackers scorers. are more expensive yeah, they're more expensive they put and more fans in the seats they win you more games um and you can you can find decent defenders at you know lower price points you can you know scoring goals makes you more money so yeah.
0: this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right,
2: moving on to the next one. Straight up. This one's from David Beffert. Sam, I'm teeing you up on this one. Don't let me down. Should, or David is, should there be (laughs) a supporter shield in MLS this year? Um should there
1: be uh sure. There there can be a supporter shield that j- just no one should
2: take it seriously.
1: <laughs> Is that fine? That's it. No schedule... explanation
2: needed. Let's just move on. I mean like, it's like you can you can give it
1: out. You can give it out and like it's a nice little thing for fans who, you know, technically run this trophy. Um and it's a nice little thing for whoever wins it, and I have no problem with celebrating an accomplishment, however minor. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's diluted like, and that's not really anyone's fault, but the schedule is insanely unbalanced and teams are playing 23 games and, uh, MLS is back was a thing. Uh, so it doesn't really mean much to me. Um uh, but yeah, you can keep it. Do you, you agree? Disagree?
2: Yeah. I like the way you put it. Go ahead and hand it out, but don't take it seriously. Anyone, anyone listening to this, if you are okay. a true allocation disorder, listener you spit on the supporter shield this year. All right. Wow. <laughs> that that turned to oh, crazy. I wanted to get dramatic. All right. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Sam, you, you you or I'll ask this one. Oh, sorry. I'm going to ask this one, Sam. Okay. Ryan Baum right. is asking, who deserves more credit for Seattle's Quang sustained success? Schmetzer or Lagerway? Wow. Um
1: I mean, I would lean Wagner personally, but I think they both deserve a ton of credit, personally. Uh, that roster is consistently excellent. Um, I've been a critic of Schmetzer in the past in terms of kind of a lack of a style of play, a lack of a clear identity. Uh, I think they've figured that out. Um, you know, the core of that team has been there a long time, and they play good soccer, uh, and they have a, but they have a lot of good options, too. Um, I think they've, bottom line, I think they've both done an excellent job um also i believe brian schmetzer is in a contract year. so interesting tidbit um what do you think paul who who are you giving them on this podcast
2: i always give more credit to the gms it's so much easier to um coach a good roster than it is to make something out of a bad roster we don't really i mean schmetzer's had a good roster to work with his entire time in seattle That's not to say that Schmetzer hasn't done a good job. I think he has. He's won cups. What what more can you say? He's made three finals in four years. I'm not knocking him at all. It's not his. It's not like you can't. You can only coach the players you have. It's not like it's like he. Oh, let me go. Let me go. Switch to go coach San Jose and see how I do. Like no, that's not how this works. That'd be kind of fun if you could trade coaches. I mean, you I can. guess you technically you can't can. trade coaches. Didn't
1: um, John Gruden and uh, Tony Dungy got traded for no. Oscar Pereja? John Gruden got traded for a for a first round pick. Oscar Pereja Oscar got Pereja, traded. Yeah, yeah. Colorado to Dallas. And the then Red Bulls Pablo just traded for a coach Rapids. just now. Man. They just bought
2: a coach. You just wrote
1: about it. Yeah, they traded for two and a half million dollars. Yeah, it's a lot of money.
2: Um, anyway, look, I, I, all I'm saying is that I think (laughs) that that roster is fantastic in Seattle. I'll give, I'll give Garth credit because also he, he's won MLS cups in two markets, one big market where you spend money and one other market where they didn't really. Um, so, you know, I, I, um, I I don't know. It's allocation disorder, man. You, you, you go with the front office.
1: I have, I have another question for you. I have another question for you.
2: If you could trade coaches, any two coaches
1: from team to team in MLS, right, right this second, who would you trade?
2: Ooh, that's a good one. Put um, you on the spot. I would put. Oh man, I would put uh, like, like just for the entertainment value of it, or for like,
1: yeah, whatever you want, whatever you want, dealer's choice.
2: Okay, I, I would trade. Can I? Do they have to be the same teams? Like I'm swapping coaches from one team to the other, or what? I, um, who do I want to do? however you want,
1: Paul. You make the rules. I,
2: you make the rules. I would. I would trade um, Bob Bradley to Atlanta United because I want to see like how good or bad that roster really is. Right. I think Bob,
0: you know, probably well, considered the, the best
2: coach in MLS. So like, you know, we 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 get a real exposure on that Atlanta roster if he couldn't win with that team, and. I would put, uh, I would put, um, man, this is, this is a tough one. What I'm going to do with the second one here. I think, uh, I don't know, man. I, I, all right. I've got two. All you, right, want me to here, you, you go. On. I'll think about my second one.
1: All right. Bob Bradley. I'm also trading him. I'm trading him just, he doesn't have to move. I'm trading him to the galaxy. Um, because I think that's a pretty decent roster for the most part. And I I don't think Guillermo Barlos-Scolotto is doing a good job. So I I would be interested to see what the turnaround would look like there. And I would trade Oscar Pereja, who I think has done an excellent job in Orlando and always did an excellent job in Colorado and did an excellent job in Dallas. Put him in Miami. So keeping I'm doing some rivalry trades um but i think uh i think both those teams would improve a good deal if those uh switches were made you got a second one or you got yeah
2: i i would have liked to see uh almeida get traded to the red bulls like the convergence of man oh, marking yeah. and the high yeah. pressing system of red bull god i would have loved to see that
1: yeah you had some fit guys that's for that's for damn sure um all right i don't remember who asked the last question but i'm taking this one from Jerry Agostino, any word on whether MLS owners are still actively discussing eliminating slash dismantling homegrown territories? The Caden Clark situation was a really bad look for the league. We got like six questions about Caden Clark, so this will be a catch-all for all of them, but take it away. Yeah,
2: I'm glad we got a lot of questions about it because it is embarrassing for MLS. It's embarrassing that they... Give, give the listeners a little background. So Caden Clark is, is from Minnesota. That's the background. His parents lived there and he was born there. He left Minnesota before Minnesota United even had an MLS Academy. Joined up with the Red Bulls. He's playing in the USL for New York Red Bulls too. And the Red Bulls would like to sign him to a first team contract. Minnesota United, despite not having an academy when this kid left his home state, have homegrown rights to this player. If that doesn't make you shake your head and say what in the world is mls doing then i've got even more That's for you dumb. okay the idea more? oh yeah the idea <laughs> just the idea that a team should have a right Tell over them. any player based on where they're born and for that alone is ridiculous <sighs> it it takes away any incentive ridiculous. for teams to have to actually do something well enough for somebody to want to play for them right you control their professional trying. future. You control their professional future for no reason. And and I'm glad oh, that it's hostage. happening with Minnesota because Minnesota is changing the way they run their academy. They don't want to put money into it. They're finding the cheapest way possible to do it by by essentially outsourcing it to their local clubs and saying these kids are going to play locally and we're going to put together an all-star team that competes in MLS competition and these kids train with us sometimes and train there sometimes and we have a huge pool of players that we can pull from at any time. And you know what? Fine. That's fine. If that works for them, that's great. It's kind of interesting. I actually. think it's I think it's wonderful and I think MLS, you know, th- there's a really easy solution here, man. The the mandate to have an academy needs to go. If you're Portland or Minnesota and you don't want to have the same type of academy system that LAFC or Atlanta or Red Bulls or FC Dallas or Philadelphia has, fine. But you don't get the homegrown rights. And what Minnesota is doing right now is they're saying, we're not going to do the academy the same way. We're not going to invest the same way because it doesn't work for us. But, and you can go sign for whoever else you want to in an academy. But the moment you're good enough to sign a pro contract, we want to get paid. That's ridiculous. And there are discussions happening at the MLS level about how to fix this, about how to change the homegrown rights. But I can tell you this too. It's not aggressive enough. The things that they're discussing doing is, is a way to appease the GMs and the owners who don't want the rule to change. And that's it. And it's not enough. I'm not going to say what it is on this Athletic show because I'm going to write it eventually, but it's not enough. And I got into, I, I, you know, I, I, you have to pay for that. I had a, I had a discussion with a GM who made a lot of good points. You know, he doesn't want, you know, soccer to turn into AAU basketball where kids are flying all over the country and, you know, losing this. You know, they already, they already, but, fly but it doesn't country. matter, man. Like it's not your choice. Like ultimately if the family wants the kid to move from, you know, Ohio to, to, To LA to play for LAFC. That's their choice, man. It's not your choice, you know? And and just like it's that's what happens in AAU, like recruiting is part of the game everywhere in the world. Why shouldn't it be that that way in North America, in the US and and Canada? And by the way, it is that way. Kids are flying to Germany to go play. Kids are flying to Holland to go play.
1: It's a far farther flight
2: too. Yeah. So ridiculous, stupid. My number one thing on my list that I hate most about MLS, homegrown territories. It's bad for it's, it's bad for development <laughs> is, in the United States. This is
1: States. a cross that you, you're you willing to die on. I,
2: I really sure. just hate it. And I think um, it's bad for development in the United States.
1: I agree. And I'm glad that I got to be your hype man there. Um, little bonus. Uh, from what I've been told, the Red Bulls and Minnesota are talking about trading for Caden Clark's homegrown rights. Uh, last I heard of it, which... Admittedly, it was a week, week and a half ago now. Uh, They were pretty close, and the Red Bulls expected to get it done um, in pretty short order, at, at which point they would sign him to the first team. So that's where things stand, although I need to check back in on that. So, Paul, you're the national team guy here. I mean, I guess we both are, but, you know, you wear that hat. From Patrick Keeler, over under five MLS players on the 2022 World Cup roster, assuming the U.S. makes it. Play, that's playing in MLS in November 22 when the Qatar World Cup starts. Not playing in MLS now, playing in MLS then. What do you think? Uh, over or under?
0: I'll take the over
2: on that. And, you know, I think realistically... I see your I, notes here.
1: You have Matt Turner, the best goalkeeper in the world, playing in MLS in 2022?
2: You know, I just think like certain guys... Like, okay, <laughs> look, just because you get the MLSsoccer.com... Endorsement doesn't mean you're gonna get the, the, the sale. I, I mean, like Matt Turner, by the way. Jackson Yule has been a, a favorite at MLSsoccer.com for a long time. He just signed a long term contract with San Jose. So doesn't it mean doesn't mean he doesn't mean he won't get sold. Now, I actually think that the the quotes in that release, I almost tweeted a joke which said, you know, Fiorinelli's quote should have said, not that he's committed here till after the World Cup, but Hey, if you really want this guy now, you have to come spend money for him, right? It's a smart thing to do to lock someone up for a long term contract. Gives you leverage in the transfer window and gives that player security. Smart move by the Earthquakes. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I I put a couple names on here in my notes just to say I think these players will probably still be there. But even if you're looking at like Matt Turner, Jackson Ewell, Aaron Long, Jossie Zardes, Jordan Morris, you know, Ferrero, Palmi Call, you know, these are just I'm spitballing names here. But I think DeAndre Yedlin maybe. The, the harder part is to pull back and say, okay, do are there 18 players who are going to be in Europe playing consistently healthy more 18 or more players and I don't think that the answer will be yes. I do think there will be at least 5. I'll I'll take the over but only slightly. I think there's going to be 6 or 7 players that are domestic based players who are on the roster. I will say that I don't know that anyone in the starting lineup, when World Cup qualifiers begin next year, will be an MLS player. I don't know that there will be one MLS player in the starting 11 for the US uh, next fall when, when qualifying begins.
1: Interesting. Um, I noticed you didn't mention Josie Altidore. You don't think he's gone to the World Cup?
2: Or is he leaving? I don't know, maybe I don't I mean, I, you know, we got in an argument about Altador's role. We talked about this last show. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean Altador's gotta stay healthy. <laughs> you know, he's gotta he's gotta stay in the league. He's got hurt again. Yeah. I know. So um yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll see. No what Michael Bradley there. either. No, no, I don't think Michael Bradley will be on the World Cup roster. All right. There you go. Next question. All right, Sam. I'll ask the question this time. I'm asking the questions around here, bud. Um, Chris Alvebi, okay. Alvebi. So I don't, I don't just got confirming, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Young Money, as it's called, affectionately called here on this show, the we Under 22 Initiative. Hired. What what are what are our producers doing that they haven't yet inserted Lil Wayne saying Young Money into this? We have we have produced these episodes. Just kidding. Yeah, I love you. How too. dare you, Taylor and Daylor, Daryl, Daryl, D- Darrell. I think Daylor works better.
1: Young Money Cash Money!
2: (laughs) Young Money starts next year and is basically three more young DPs under the age of 23. Uh, Dan also asked a similar question. Sam, what do you got for us? Uh, I asked about
1: this a couple of weeks ago. And basically what I was told is that's the expectation, but that nothing's really confirmed. Um, You guys may have heard about this thing called COVID-19. Uh, it kind of threw a wrench in everything. Uh, this, you know, it became less of a priority with everything else going on around the league. Um, we'll see if the owners want to open the pocketbooks for this starting next year. I think they will. I think it'll come into play next year. Um, but we'll see, uh, just to explain exactly what it is. Um, it's MLS teams can go out and sign up to three players under the age of 22 for any transfer fee, as long as their salary is under what 600,000 or so Paul.
2: Yeah, that was the number that yeah. was floated originally. The people can't see you nod on the podcast. Just I, I spoke. Uh, no, I, I. I think again, we should say that this was <laughs> all evolving in the la- the last time we reported it. Right, that they the numbers that were being batted around six hundred k salary. Right. Well, the maximum salary or less. Right, that was that was basically where they were putting it, and. Uh, a limit on the transfer, or no limit on the transfer fee, or then there was the discussion: could there be a limit? So they hadn't really figured that part out. I still think, like you said, Sam, I think it's been pushed. It's been, you know, they they've kicked the can down the road on this, and they'll figure it out probably in the off season and finalize what it looks like. It's not exactly the same as a DP. It works a lot of the same way. Um, There's just a cap, except on the for sal- that cap There's on the not- salary, but yeah. the the cap hit will be similar to a young DP. So um and and no limit on the transfer fee is huge yeah yeah could be potentially
1: very huge um it could be a big growth point for mls both in terms of quality but really i think more in terms of player sales down the road um there was actually a really interesting article today in the new york times by rory smith about argentina and the lack of players it has been exporting to europe in recent years a lot of those players for whatever reason and Kind of the, one of the hypotheses in this article that people really used to check out um, was that they're basically just not good enough right now for whatever reason. Um, and a lot and of those yet. guys have ended up in MLS. A lot of those guys have ended up in MLS. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that here in recent years, particularly if uh, if the young moolah baby comes through. So, uh, next question from Brian. This is a quick one for you, Paul. When should we expect the MLSPA? He actually tagged the MLSPA in this tweet. This was a Twitter question um, to release the player salaries for 2020. Well, we got to hound them. I, I,
2: I would doubt that I it's mean, coming at it's this almost, point. But. Yeah,
1: I don't. I don't think that's coming, man. It's uh, October eighth, almost October 9th. and uh, yeah,
2: I, I don't see it. Like, I don't know. I'll call him tomorrow and ask. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move to the next About question. That. Stall tactics—that's uh, not what I'm doing right now. That is the name of the questioner. Why do you Burn. think there is such little transfer activity between MLS and USL? Do you think it's a problem, Sam? How would you fix it? Did you call Jeff Reuter before answering this question? Go ahead, Sam.
1: Is—is is this Jeff Reuter's burner account? Um, no,
2: I did not call Jeff before. I—I uh, I haven't even seen this
1: question before right now. Um, why do I think there's so little transfer activity? I think when MLS teams want to go out and pay a transfer fee, right, they're not looking to USL to do so. Um, Even getting beyond a transfer fee situation, if a guy's available for free, um, I would say for the most part, and this isn't true in all cases, but for the most part, there's a reason that that guy is in USL and not in MLS to begin with. Uh, Paul, I'm going to steal your note that you put in our document here. Uh, Jerome Kiesavetter, 12 goals last year in USL el paso um he's not playing for Inter Mi- for an inner miami team that uh can't score um or couldn't before gonzalo Higuain started to to bang in free kicks um so you know we see we saw this with cincinnati uh in their expansion season they brought up 10 guys from usl and did any of them make an impact did any of them i think like one or two stuck with the team um beyond one season So, I think there's kind of just like a mounting amount of evidence that most guys in USL, when they do bump up to MLS, just don't really stick. Um, And so, I think that is kind of the answer to your question. That's not to say all of them can't. Mark Anthony K is a good example, right? Guy who came from Louisville City um, and tore it up with LAFC. And there have been plenty of guys in the past. I think of a guy... Luke Mulholland had a nice, you know, before he really had injuries really derailed him. He he did a ni- did nice work with RSL coming up from USL. So
2: Kevin Molino in Orlando, but the the examples are yeah, those are those are the exceptions, right? We're we're pulling out names because those those are the exception to the rule. That there's just too big of a gap in the level of play over the course of a season right now between where MLS has gone and where USL is right now. That's not to say that that gap can't close and won't close. I hope it does. I think that will be healthy and important for American soccer. And I think certainly seeing USL teams investing more in young players and in homegrown players, I think will start to change the mindset of some MLS teams. You know, if you are an MLS team and you want to go sign one of these young 16, 17-year-old homegrown players out of USL, it's a much different business transaction than it is to go and sign a 25 or 26-year-old forward who either is a journeyman um yeah you know adam john I do think there should be a little more activity i do think there I, I, should I think be we will see activity. it i think we will see it again though you you brought up the point is if you have a high level usl player you know i there are a couple i, I was talking to i, I don't i'm not going to go look at all the names and everything i was talking to jeff about this last year but phoenix had a couple players that were very successful you have to pay a transfer fee the salary you would want to pay the guy to be on the team is much lower in some cases than what they're making in USL if they're a high level USL player and their role is going to be much smaller. So to come to an agreement with a player who's making uh, one of the higher salaries in USL, for example, and is starting and is a star and an MLS team wants to, to sign them on one third of the salary they're making to be the second or third striker on the team, that makes it difficult to accomplish. So if you're looking in the USL, you're probably looking for depth. And to to spend it on transfer fee to do that, and to pay a guy a a higher six figure salary to do that, it's just not worth it. Um, but I do think the young players that are starting to play in USL should start to change that equation a bit.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Of course, there's the relationship between MLS and USL is evolving and will continue to do so uh, over the years, uh, particularly with all the changes. But you know, we'll see how that shakes out. Next question, Paul, is from Matt Conroy, and I assume that he's talking about the U.S. men's national team in this question. Why aren't we looking at Jordan Morris as a number nine for the U.S. in a serious way? I'm not a Morris fan, but it seems to me like he deserves a shot, and if you put him up top, he gets to use his speed, obviously his best trait, and gets others, reina Weah, LeJet, to fight for the wide spot. Um, I'm not sure if legit is playing winger for anybody. Um, I also think this undersells Jordan Morris, who has done, I think, really, really improved his game since he came back from his ACL injury last year. Uh, but anyway, Paul, you take it away. Why is why aren't we looking at Jordan Morris as a number? That,
2: well, first of all, easy. I'd just like to say nothing about Jordan Morris is, is getting, getting Gio Reyna to compete and fight for a starting spot on the national team job, okay? Gio Reyna is going to start ahead of jordan morris in either way i'm sorry just to digress really quickly there um (laughs) I, i think that jordan morris could be used up top i think he could be used up top because we know that jordan morris is is very effective at the left wing spot and the u.s has a pretty good player playing left wing and that's christian pulisic and so now you have to start talking about where does Jordan Morris fit in this lineup? And as long as there are questions at the number nine spot, I think Jordan Morris is an option there. Now, is he going to start there? I don't think so. You know, Greg Burhalter really likes Jossie's artist. He thinks he knows J- Jossie knows the Burhalter system. He finishes uh, fairly well. Um, if you set him up in the box and I think he he right now is the front runner to start. Josh Sargent is playing for a very bad vertebrae in team. You know, I think he is probably a, a somebody that the U.S. Hope de- hopes develops into a starter. Could we see Jordan Morris start on the right wing? Maybe. Could we see Jordan Morris come in late in games in the U.S. if the U.S. is switching to a 3-5-2 and play paired up top with somebody? Absolutely. I think that's a role that we could see Jordan Morris play, potentially Jordan Morris and Christian Pulisic playing together up top late in games in the 3-5-2. So I think we could see him played as a forward, but but maybe not as a, a starting center forward in a
1: 4-3-3. I mean, he he played that position for Seattle, and he's better as a winger. I think that's you know the main thing here. He's better as a winger, and he doesn't play up there for Seattle, so you're going to throw him up there in international duty, but not with club ball. Eh, I mean, if that's happening, something went wrong with the other strikers, like very badly wrong
2: In fact, I would say, but we'll see. Sam, we're going to come back to this highlighted question here to end the show, but we're coming up on an hour. So I'm going to do a quick, like we're going to run through these last questions here as like a quick, okay. I actually, I Lightning have a bonus round. question, Paul. I have okay, a let's do class. the lightning round. Okay, then we'll go want... to your bonus question, and then we'll end it on this Clear. this one that we highlighted that we're excited about. Fine, fine. All right. Fine. What is a realistic projection for the TV deal? I don't think we have one. We, you know, they've been very secretive about it. Certainly, we expect the TV deal to go up. This is Tyson tweets by the way. He sent this question in. Um, how much it'll go up? I don't know. It, it will depend, I think, on over the top and what companies are involved. Does Amazon get involved? ESPN Plus obviously would like to keep MLS as a property. Facebook, but I, I think we'll see Twitter, an increase.
1: Yeah, uh, I talked to somebody about this a month or two ago. Um, someone who's not really involved in the MLS space, but who has been in sports business for decades in very high positions. Um, and what he told me was like kind of, you know, looking for the current deal pays $90 million a year from the American Networks. Um, for MLS teams. And so I think looking for like something he, he was, he was thinking like, it'll be like 200 ish. I thought that sounded high. Um, but that's where he put it. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, we've talked about that a lot on this show. It's going to determine a lot about the growth of the league and how fast things move. So something very important
2: to keep an eye on. Another quick one here from Was Jay. Is that lightning round enough? Th- that's lightning round enough. Jay, also clarifying, do teams that sell a DP have to recoup all expenses before the transfer revenue can be converted to GAM? So can you lose money between transfers and money paid and earned through a sale and still convert the League Max to GAM? No, you do have to recoup all money before everything anything else comes out of it. So the owner can gets their money back in their pocket. Now... Why does that – it doesn't really matter that much because if the owner recoups that money, one of the only places where that money can be used on the first-team roster is DPs. So, it can go right – I mean, the non-GAM part. It can go right into the pocket and right back out into the first-team. But yeah, they can't turn that money into GAM um, until that owner is paid.
1: Next question, Paul. Uh, I don't yeah, know where you're headed here. Another
2: one from Jay here. Keep running her on um, the show. How can, how can a team like Atlanta United sign a player like Lopez over the roster limit, call him up periodically in years where there are additional competitions, but not right now, not in 2020? Sam, we don't really know. Man. We, what do you think? I have been meaning to look, up, look into this for months because they signed this
1: kid from Paraguay, I believe, right? Paraguay? Yep. Um, for reportedly a pretty significant transfer fee, um, one that they did not have the space for on their first team roster, and they just stashed him in USL. And he can't play MLS games, but theoretically he could play in Champions League perhaps or Open Cup if those things were happening. Um, They are not because of COVID. Um, I don't really know how that's legal. I'm surprised MLS would allow something like that, but... I guess, technically,
2: uh, you know. It causes what, me to be skeptical. skeptical? Mar- it yourself? just causes me to be skeptical, skeptical about the reports it out of South the America. Eyebrows, for sure. I, I just don't believe yeah, the transfer yeah. fee because MLS is real sticklers for this. They have rules written in about how yeah. much money you're allowed to send down to USL. It doesn't make sense. You know, they brought him on a loan. They're going to buy him next year. The only explanation is that they intend to bring him up next year with young money. And that's why he can't play this year. It's because the league is saying, Fine. If you have to sign this kid right now in order to get a deal done, you can sign him to USL, but he is not playing in MLS until Young Money exists. That's the only explanation I have for it on the face of it, based on what's been reported. Um, Because MLS, they all really do not want teams to do this, to start using their USL teams to stash players and to get around the cap. Um, The whole system is built around not getting around that cap. Um, Okay, is an option to buy or require this from Colin S., is an option to buy or a requirement to buy included in the cap hit for year one of a loan? Um, there is no requirement to buy in an MLS. Um, and no, an option to buy is not included. Requirements to
1: buy, requirement don't to exist. buy basically. That would, it wouldn't be a loan. That would be a transfer. Yeah. So it, it
2: doesn't exist in MLS. The, these these were discussions we got into with the Pavone deal. They, they won't allow teams to have a requir- requirement to buy option. Doesn't exist. Right, right, exactly. Um, and if a loaning team pays part of a player's salary, does that count against the cap? So, if if Atlanta United takes a player on loan, for example, and that player's salary down in South America is seven hundred thousand, and Atlanta United takes three hundred of that seven hundred on as the loan, yes, that three hundred goes against the cap. The four hundred that they're not paying does not go against the cap. But um, just using random and numbers. And
1: in there. Re- in reverse, in reverse, Paul, you want to give the reverse example. So, if Atlanta were to loan a seven hundred thousand dollar player to Europe, and they kept, they were continuing to pay $300,000, would that still yes, count? Yes, that Atlanta's would stay books? on the cap. Yes, would. That would, it would stay would. on
2: the cap. Yes. Um, okay, um, Marty, what will it question. take? How much time until an MLS club spends $30 million on a player? Oh, have seen Atlanta spend fifty I did research on this. Twice. What about the next level? Sam?
1: Oh, it's going to take uh, a lot more revenue. Um, I looked this up this summer, and admittedly, the transfer market was a little bit, weird this summer. There were only 25 players in the whole world that commanded a $30 million plus transfer fee. You're getting into very, very rarefied air at that point. Um, So unless there are some shenanigans with a Messi or Ronaldo deal, um, and I don't think they're coming unless they're on a free transfer because a real transfer would be ridiculous. Um, So unless you're talking about something like that, I think you're talking... You're probably talking a long time. Um, a lot needs to change before that happens. So I would say, I mean, I don't know. I would be surprised if that happened before the 2026 World Cup. I think that's fair. Unless the price is really inflate. Yeah,
2: there's no way. Yeah, unless the market takes a crazy jump. There's no way. And it's going the other way. And even so, then.
1: Yeah. All right. Sam, bonus question. Do you have any more lightning rounders for me? for me?
2: I'm waiting for your bonus question. Bonus question.
1: Yeah, I checked Twitter during one of your answers. I was doing a bad job of listening, apparently. unbelievable. Um, this is from Jason Maxwell. Um, At Rapids Jason, how badly did the COVID cancellations, postponements, for being technical about it, screw up the Rapids' chances? And I don't know how badly they screwed up their chances. Uh, it certainly doesn't help. The Rapids have had their last three games postponed because of a COVID-19 outbreak, primarily among their staff. Um, I believe it's only four players that have tested positive, Um, but I think it's 13 staffers at this point. So they basically don't have any coaches left is what that means. Um, We'll see how badly it screwed up the chances. You know, they have a game now every every midweek and every weekend through the rest of the season, Um, and then they'll have one more game that isn't in there that they still need to reschedule. Uh, So that might have to come after decision day. I do think it's crazy. Paul, we were talking about this earlier today. It is crazy to me that this is not a bigger story. And I know the Rapids are not exactly the most talked about team in MLS, but, you know, you just look at the broader sports landscape and the Titans are like the biggest story in American sports because of their COVID outbreak. And you've got the NBA finals and the MLB playoffs going on, right? And they're the biggest story. And And the Rapids have already had these three games canceled. And like for a week and a half, I think I was the only one in the world reporting on it. So it, that whole thing is weird. Uh, it's an unfortunate situation in Colorado. I hope everyone is okay. Um, some people were symptomatic from what I was told. Um, I don't think it was too too bad or anything but yeah it's it's not good I think it's actually kind of remarkable that it took this long for an MLS team to have an outbreak um, I think they got through something like 115 games before a, a cancellation 115 post bubble games so I mean in terms of the chances I don't know but it's an unfortunate situation and I'm, I wanted to spend some time on it even though it's very much at the tail end of the show
2: yeah I mean I think it's 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 definitely something that I think we've talked today about about spending a little bit more time on um but yeah we'll we'll um I think reinforce the idea that hopefully everyone's doing okay and, and recovering um in Colorado and that they they get out of the the woods here on this outbreak. Um you know it was kind of a bad idea to they save, save this to the end cuz we're at almost an hour and 10 minute long show um it's but okay. I wanted it's a mailbag I wanted to mention to uh, this question or not really. A I'm question. so excited Nick, for this. Nick
1: asks or Lip-a-witch.
2: says, Lip a witch. You didn't even want to try. I didn't want to try. You you, you criticize all of my pronunciations. Wow. Go dating back like three shows now. Okay, not really a question, but will you guys just blast <laughs> FC Cincy a little? The supporters are super angry. I, I don't know if that's loud on the show or not. The the words he used here, it's not peed. PO'd, PO'd. And it would yeah. be nice to hear someone go in on the organization. Thank you.
1: Exclamation uh, point.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll go in on Cincinnati. Are you kidding me? Actually, no. Our- can
1: I can I just say something? I've gone in on Cincinnati so many times. On this show, on the first episode of this show that aired a year before the second episode of this show <laughs> um, on Twitter. In articles on FC Cincinnati podcasts, and every time I do it, every time FC Cincinnati fans get so mad at me. They get so mad. They're like, "You're crazy. You're an idiot. Our team's good. Um, we're gonna make the playoffs. You're you're a stupid idiot, Sam. You're a big. You're
2: a big dumb dumb." And no uh, one well, no one's giving yobs enough and, credit for his tactics and, against Atlanta and
1: now you and now you want me to criticize criticize your team no i won't i'm not going to give you what you want nick lipovich <laughs> all right well i will i've given it to you before and you hated me for it yeah
2: there, there, there's not much now. more to say you know there's not much more to say sam sam there's is there's probably right. a lot more to say we've done it we've done it every, at every turn <laughs> Look, the roster was a disaster from the jump. The number of players they brought from USL, not just the number of players they brought from USL, which was a mistake, the amount of money they paid them, the number of years of guaranteed contracts they gave them, the number of international spots they used on them, the amount of money they wasted in trades, the amount of money and time they wasted on the MLS Super Draft. Uh, It was a disaster all the way around in that expansion season. And it and we said it then while it was occurring while it was unfolding we said this is, is is a disaster. Then after that unfolded and they won like they went like one one and one in their first three games and it was like Cincinnati is so good and like everyone this is I think you know our our good friend Bobby Warshaw was like this is a playoff roster and I was like this this team is I, I was like this Bobby, team is so bad this team is so Bobby bad and they're going to be more wrong
1: the they're going to be so bad he stands by it too.
2: There's nothing to stand by. They very clearly were not a playoff roster. And, and <laughs> after it unfolded, you know, our point was that we've made several times in several different places that it's going to take three years to build out of this if you get everything right. And I don't think they've done that either. So you're in for a little while longer unless suddenly you work some magic in one window and you get like nine out of nine signings Right. Good luck, but no, it's going to take it's going to take some time. It, it's been it's been poorly handled.
1: If MLS always plays in a tournament format, they'll be okay because Yopstam will park that bus, and he did all right with it. They made the knockout round in Orlando, but um, I'm looking at the standings right here, um, Paul. They have played four, 50 games in MLS, FC Cincinnati, 50 regular season games. Guess how many points they have.
2: I'll say they have I'm going to say 32 37 a
1: little better than boy? you gave him credit for but 37 points in 50 games I don't need to say anything else
2: Yeah not good not good very not good On that note on that note I think we can call it
1: call it a show uh happy birthday shout out to my mom it's her birthday today technically um a lot of you care about that i'm sure we'll see if she listens i'm not going to tell her about this so we'll see if she listens she's probably the only one left listening at this point who am i kidding uh thank you for listening i am sam say school he is paul tenorio i'm cutting him off before he can say something snarky about my mom how dare you thank you for listening to allocation disorder until next time